so we, uh, we've been in our series, our voice mini-series for the past four weeks. This is week five. Um, and uh, has anyone been enjoying this series so far? We've been talking about vocation. We've been talking about your contribution to the world, your purpose in the world, the gift you get to give to the world. And maybe this is the good news that you need to hear today is that you have a purpose. God created, you matter. God created you with a particular identity. And the kind of big idea flowing out of the series is that from your identity comes your vocation, not the other way around, right? You don't work and labor to get a sense of identity in the world but from who God says you are, then you get to begin to give your gift. And we're calling it the voice series because um, I think the goal of our lives is to hear God's voice and let him lead us in every area of our life and lead us into the gift that we get to give away. And in that process, we begin to find our voice. And this is what God wants for you. He wants you to find your voice, your unique way of existing in the world that is just you. It's just for you, it's just from you, and it's actually what the world needs. Not you trying to squeeze yourself into somebody else's box or anything like that, but you um, being who you are and finding your unique voice in God. I'm giving this thing one more try, but I don't know. All right, I have my notes on my phone, it's fine. Um, So we're gonna be starting today in uh, Acts 16. We'll have that on the screen And um, we can, you can re- read that in your Bible, or we'll read it right off the screen together. All right, this is um, from Paul's missionary journey. This is going to be a long passage of Scripture. Are you guys okay with this? You okay we read the Bible in church today? Because we're going to read the Bible in church today. It's, uh, it's like 30-something verses. But it's, I, I think this is really important. This is an incredible story from the book of Acts that's, that that shows the twists and the turns of somebody following God and seeking to go where God is leading them and watching in the, the unexpected ways that God is at work through um, some of the events that take place. And so Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. I'll read that again. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. You didn't know God did that. God does stuff that you don't even expect. When they came, God has, you, you have rules for God that God doesn't have for himself. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who'd gathered there, One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. We'll stop here. All right, so Paul is on a mission. He's taking the gospel of Jesus 
out to the places where it had not been preached before. He is taking it out across the Roman Empire, taking it to the Gentile world. This is his sense of, his general sense of calling in the world is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He talks about this through a lot of his letters. And he is ambitious to do it, right? And so, but what we see is, is he's trying to go into the province of Asia, but if you're looking at like a map of first century Roman Empire, that's kind of to the west, west part of what would be the Roman Empire. He's trying to get up into the province of Asia, or sorry, to the east. He's trying to get up into the province of Asia, and God is not letting him go there. He has the best of intentions, but God is blocking the way. Then finally, he has this dream with a vision of a man from Macedonia. It's another area in the Mediterranean, in the Roman Empire, saying, come here. So they, they go there. They arrive in Philippi, which is in Macedonia. And what we're about to read is the origin story of the book of Philippians. So if you've ever read Philippians, the, who, is, who are the people of Philippi, the Philippian letter? It's the people of Philippi. It's the people that are members of the church and the house church network that was launched because of the interactions Paul is about to have as he followed God uh, into, on the path and in the way that God was leading him. So we're gonna keep going in this story. Can we do that? Yeah, all right. So he met this woman, Lydia, Thyatira, dealer in pur- purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So she hears the message of Jesus, gets baptized, says, come over to my house. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she says, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. New character enters the story. (laughs) A lot going on there. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she's not even like insulting them or saying anything bad or untrue. She's just saying the truth publicly. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, you guys didn't know this, but if someone's annoying you, you can can, uh, just say to their spirit, and it's not offensive. I'm kidding. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. So there's a spirit, there's a a demon, an evil spirit that's in this girl who's giving her the ability to to know things she shouldn't know. And he, Paul, casts this demon out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authority. So there's a lot of dynamics happening there in that little few verses. Uh, but, but Paul messed with somebody who didn't want to be messed with, and they, they get dragged into the marketplace. Next slide. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. You've maybe heard this story before, but you didn't, maybe didn't, you didn't know the context. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake 
that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Next slide. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. How interesting is this? There are other times where there's a miraculous escape from prison in the book of Acts and they just leave. But here, Paul and the other prisoners had the insight or maybe God kept them there for the well-being of this jailer, right? This is, I know, this is just interesting stuff. Like, when do you move? When do you not move? There's a, there's a staying in step with the spirit that's taking place in the story. I don't know if you're seeing it. And so he says, don't harm yourself. We're actually all here. We didn't get up and leave when the prison doors flew open. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Got a little bit longer. Are we okay? Still going. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. One last little section, which is kind of hilarious. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. Oh, we didn't realize because you're not supposed to mistreat Roman citizens, and they just made assumptions about them. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers. This is the purple cloth lady. Where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, then they left. Long story. I think it's an important passage for us to read today. I just have the feeling that maybe there's some little details from this story that God wants to use to speak to different people in the room or different people watching online. While the core idea and the core message really stems from the beginning of the story, um, which is Paul is on a mission and he's trying to get somewhere so he can give his gift away. This is, this is how he's choosing to live his life. He is on fire with something to give and he's doing everything he can to try to get to the next place to do that to the point that God is having to tell him where not to go. Which when I've always been inspired looking at Paul, I'm like, this guy has so much energy. <laughs> really? How does he wear it? He is just, he, he's got an, a fuel burning to try to, to go do the thing that God is calling him to do. To the point that God is having to sheepdog him to where God wants him to go. I have a, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, two little girls. The two-year-old, this is what I have to do to her. If we're in public and she just wants, she's just like this, right? Running all over. And I have to literally with, with a foot, block her path this way and then this way. I, I was doing this too violently earlier today and I made the whole rug slip and I almost spilled my coffee and it was really awesome. I won't try to re recreate it because it'll probably not go well, but imagine me jumping more dramatically right now. And so I'm, I have to like do this to, don't go this way and she goes this way and then I go this and she goes this way. If I wanted to go here, there's a lot of back and forth to get her to go in that direction, but eventually we get in the right, get moving in the right direction. This is kind of like the picture I see of Paul. It's a good thing. 
He is ambitious. He's ambitious to give his gift away. And he says this. He says it in Romans 15. I've been very ambitious. I've always been ambitious to preach the gospel where it's not been preached. This is his specific sense of vocational calling, his gift, his contribution to the world. A few weeks ago, we talked about um, resistance, the resistance. Anybody here for that? And the idea that when you say yes to the thing God is calling you to do, when you take that step, when you, when you make up your mind, okay, I'm gonna do this. And it doesn't necessarily mean taking the gospel to a new continent, right? I mean, that's, this is the, the, the stories and the examples we see throughout scripture. But it could be the business that God's calling you to start. It could be the degree that he's calling you to, the program he's calling you to enter into. It could be the family he's calling you to build. It could be the art that's in your heart to create. When you say yes to the gift that is yours to give, when you say yes to the work that is yours to do, when you say yes to the outworking of your identity, which is that idea of vocation, you will face resistance. We talked about that. Did a whole sermon on it. Really important stuff. The other side of the coin is sometimes it seems God blocks the way. And how do you know the difference? I don't know. That's hard. I would love to be like, here's how to know. There's the signs to look for. Sometimes they look the same, actually. And most of the time, we don't know really what was going on in a lot of our lives until we're looking in the rearview mirror. And we go, oh, okay, I get it now. I see how that one worked out. I'd like to give you all sorts of spiritual absolutes right now about how to understand your life perfectly, but uh, if I, I would be lying to you if I did that, right? I barely got my life figured out. So there's the, it's, it's about living and continuing to watch as God comes through and learning lessons as you go. But there is something about, sometimes it's resistance and sometimes it is God's restraint. I have a... Um, a mentor and a friend named Carl Martin, who's he's preached here a bunch of times. You guys have met a big, tall uh, British guy. He's a British man living in Scotland um, for the past however many years. Uh, and um, he always talks to me. This comes up a lot in our conversations. He, he always talks about this idea of the, the metaphor of the bags. What's your bag, Rob? What's your bag? What's somebody else's bag? What's God's bag? What's nobody's bag? These are four different bags. Are you holding your bag right now or are you trying to carry somebody else's? Are you trying to carry something that's somebody else's to carry? Because if that's the case, you should put that down and just carry the thing that <laughs> is yours to carry. Are you trying to carry what is God's to carry? I think God is kind of going, I got Asia. <laughs> to Paul, right? I got this one. <laughs> I have a plan for how, and you know what? It's gonna be some, somebody else is gonna be the one that, that goes into that province at a different time. I'm leading you here, Paul. You don't have to, you're not responsible for the whole world. But sometimes we, in our ambition, in our excitement, in our passion, pick up more than what is just our bag to carry. So what's yours? What's somebody else's? What's God's? What's no, nobody's? Maybe no one needs to be worried about that one. Maybe that one actually needs to get put over there for a little bit. This is a helpful exercise for me. Maybe you just need to think about that for practically in your life, Right now, I was in a, um, 
a leadership program in college uh, where we did a bunch of different types of volunteer work. And, and through that program, I got involved in Young Life. So I was a volunteer Young Life leader for a few years in college. And, um, and then also during that time, I, got, I was hired as a youth pastor for my first job in ministry. I shared about that a few, year, a few weeks ago in the series. And, uh, and over a few years in college, my, um, my plate started getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And, uh, and I was kind of burning the candle at a bunch of different ends. And I was, str- I was struggling to come to terms with what was my bag to carry at that time and what bag needed to be put down. And, uh, and so I, was, I had a meeting with the director of that, that leadership program I was in. And she, uh, she said to me, she said, you know, Rob, uh, the kingdom of God has been doing just fine without you all these years. And it'll be fine. It will, it'll keep going without you. So... The, this is the end of her quote. The, so, but for me, it was, so why don't we chill out a little bit? <laughs> why don't you just settle down? Why don't you choose the thing you want to focus on and give yourself permission to let go of the other stuff? You're not doing anybody any favors. That was kind of the message. You're not, God doesn't need you to do everything and to be everything to everybody and for everybody. Um, why don't you choose and prioritize, and then you can actually be committed to something for the next chapter of your life. Sometimes it's resistance. Sometimes it's God's restraint, the sheepdog effect, right? Sometimes it's a timing thing. Um, Something could be the right thing for you, just not right now. And that can so sound like a cop-out. It's a great way to reject someone who's asking you out. That's a lie. You're like, it'll never be our time, you know. But it's just not now, right? It's a great way to cop-out and never do anything with your life. And that's not what I'm saying, actually. But, But it's true sometimes. Sometimes it's a timing thing that you can know in your heart, I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to go there. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be there or somewhere like that. For Paul, maybe it was, I'm supposed to go somewhere like the province of Asia. There's a door like that that I'm supposed to walk through. And so I keep knocking on this one and he needed God to intervene with a vision of a man from Macedonia to say, no, this door, similar door, but this one over here. Right? But sometimes it's a timing thing, and it can be really confusing, and it can actually be really discouraging to, to have a, a burning sense inside you that I'm, I'm supposed to get into that industry, or I'm supposed to be at that company, or I'm supposed to start that thing, and it's just not, I keep, I keep hitting roadblocks. It's just not happening. And we, I'll speak for myself, I tend to be so short-sighted that my assumption, if, if it's not now, then it's never. Because I, I don't, I default to just thinking about right now. And I tend to, throughout my life, have tended to not have the imagination to see, oh, what's possible in a year? What's possible in five years? What's possible in 10 years? It's a famous quote, I, I'm thinking of it right now, so I don't have a source for you, but that many of us, Actually, I think, uh, no, I'm not going to guess. But it goes like this, that most of us, 
maybe he's not that famous, but most of us tend to over, um, we tend to, to, to over-exaggerate in our minds what we can accomplish in the next one to two years, but way under-assume what's possible in the next 10 years, right? So that's true for your life, for an organization, for a business, anything. And we get disappointed because we don't reach our like two-year goals. And for most of the time, it's just too short. But we're probably not dreaming big enough 10 years out. What you can accomplish in 10 years is way more than what you're assuming, most likely. This is just, I think, just true in a worldly perspective. It's just true. Um, Sometimes it's a timing thing. I had, um, I've shared a little bit in this series about my story, Kirby and I's story in kind of our, and speaking specifically in the details, my kind of journey of vocational ministry and dis- vocational discovery in ministry. I hope that's helpful. I'm not trying to put that, like project any of that on anybody, but I think living examples are helpful for us as we go, oh, somebody else had like twists and turns and bumps and unexpected things and look how God came through. And there's a, there's a part of that story that I haven't told and it's that um, it was a timing issue. And so uh, in 2010, I thought... Kirby and I were gonna move to Atlanta and come on staff at Grace Midtown. And a lot of people don't know this. I thought that I was in conversations with Matt Reynolds, who was the lead pastor here for 10 years. He was the pastor at that time, long-term friend of mine. And he and I, we'd been, we'd talked for years about, man, when's, is there a time coming that, that we would be up in Atlanta and, and be here at Midtown in the mix, mix of everything that's going on? And 2010, I thought that was happening. Fall of 2010, I came up. We, he and I had multiple calls. I came up and spent uh, a day kind of just going to, around town with him to his various meetings and meeting people and t- talking in between about what things could be, what it could look like, what was happening organizationally at the time. And it was, the church was in a very early, fiery, exciting um, stage as an organization. And, um, and then in, in the weeks and months following that, the, the sense of, I think we're supposed to be there, was so strong, but the details around what that could look like in that time were just becoming less and less clear. And, and it became, it, it, I, I sort of reached this conclusion, which was a really confusing moment for me, of I feel so strongly that we're supposed to be there, but we're, but we're not supposed to go there right now. And I, at the time, I was saying, I think, there's time, I think that there's a timing issue. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but it's not, something's not materializing kind of on either end, and I, I think we're supposed to stay. We were in Columbus, Georgia. I think we're supposed to stay in Columbus and keep doing what we're doing. We were leading in a ministry at that point. And, um, and once, the, once we kind of pressed pause and closed the door on that conversation, almost immediately, I was given the opportunity to take over the ministry that we were leading in and become the college and young adult pastor of that church. And as we were in sort of the conversations around, it wasn't really an interview process, but the conversations around what that was gonna look like those few weeks, another huge thing happened in our lives, and that was that Kirby's dad passed away. Um, This was now New Year's Eve of 2010. Her dad unexpectedly passed away. And, um, And I mean, literally the day before, I think I, I accepted the job in this new role. And we were sort of doubling down on our life where it was. 
and all of a sudden there's this massive loss in her life and also her sister, she's a half-sister who lived with their dad who uh, who's in high school and had no home, nowhere to be. And so we were able to say, hey, come down, live with us, finish high. And so she moved into our house. We were able to buy our first house. She fit, we saw her through high school and into college. And for about two years, two and a half years, we, we lived our life where we were. And it was really an awesome time. I mean, we, we, God did some amazing things. We had a really great time. We, um, it was years later before we had a baby, but we like started with a teenager, which is a funny thing, you know? Um, and, uh, and a few months before, I had no idea. I thought I knew what the coming year or years were gonna look like, and it just, for reasons I couldn't know at the time, stopped. The way closed, something else opened up, and then, and we learned so many lessons about leadership and life during those couple of years. And then, end of 2012, going into 2013, the way opened back up. And the conversation re-engaged around us coming back up here. And then we moved up here and came on staff in 2013. That was 10 years ago. And our roles have changed and shifted and evolved a lot um, here at Grace Midtown in that time. But it's just, I don't, sometimes it's timing. I couldn't, I didn't understand at the time um, why it was so frustrating, why I would have such a strong sense that God was leading us somewhere, but then why the door wouldn't open. And, why, you know, you have the gift of hindsight and look back and say, oh, we needed, we needed those couple of years um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, sometimes it's time. There's a uh, book that I really love. I've come back to it through the years. Uh, we read it in our Vocare process this, earlier this year for anyone that went through Vocare. Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. Anybody ever read this? This is my no cover, stained, nasty version. You can't have it. Um, I love these short little books that are just chock full of wisdom. So, so it's a book about vocation. And, um, and Parker Palmer, I think, so insightfully speaks beneath the surface to the nuances of seeking to live a life that is authentic to who you truly are as you give your gift and make and express your contribution to the world. And I want to read a few um, passages from this. Can I? To, to you guys today. So this is, he begins the book with this poem from William Stafford and then talks about the poem, uh, which we'll have on the next slide. But uh, it says, sometime when the river is ice, ask me, Mistakes I've made. Ask me whether what I've done is my life. Others have come in their slow way into my thought, and some have tried to help or to hurt. Ask me what difference their strongest love or hate has made. I will listen to what you say. You and I can turn and look at the silent river and wait. We know the current is there, hidden, and there are comings and goings from miles away that hold the stillness exactly before us. What the river says, that is what I say. And the next slide, Parker Palmer says about this poem, ask me whether what I've done is my life. For some, those words will be nonsense. <laughs> Nothing more than a poet's loose way with language and logic. Of course what I've done is my life. To what am I supposed to compare it? But for others, and I'm one, the poet's words will be precise, piercing, and disquieting. They remind me of moments when it is clear if I have eyes to see. 
that the life I'm living is not the same as the life that wants to live in me. In those moments, I sometimes catch a glimpse of my true life, a life hidden like the river beneath the ice. And in the spirit of the poet, I wonder, what am I meant to do? Who am I meant to be? I love the, um, I love just the acknowledgement. I mean, and he's speaking as someone, he, taught, he tells his story through this book of his own vocational journey and his vocational struggle where he's, he experiences early success in one field only to find that, that if he were to continue in that way, he would probably experience success and make a difference in the world, but it would kill some part of him. And so he has to make the difficult decision to exit something that's actually working or looks like it's working, but he knew in himself this isn't working. And so he makes this change. He goes through this long um, internal process of, of seeking vocational clarity. And specifically, he started, he was doing social work. He was, he was uh, asked to be the president of a university. And, and he realized, there was a moment where he realized, if I accept this job, it's just uh, because I, my ego would like the way it sounded to be the president of a university more than this is what would make me come alive as a person. And he, he had to acknowledge throughout his journey, I'm a teacher. No matter what I'm doing, no matter what title I hold or what my role is, I'm gonna be teaching people. And so for him, it was this, this long process of, of uh, the developing authenticity of doing what is truly his to do, carrying the bag that was his to carry and not the one he thought he should carry or that the world wanted him to carry or that somebody else wanted him to carry, or that he thought God wanted him to carry. And I've got good news for you. God's guidance in your life, period, and especially in vocation, it is kindness. It's kindness. It was kindness that God kept Paul from going to Asia. It might have been God's kindness that you didn't get that job. It might have been God's kindness that you failed out of that program. It might have been God's kindness that things didn't go the way you expected them to do. Do you trust that he has what's best for you in mind? You trust that he, had, that he knows how he made you and he has a gift for you to give. And when you finally figure out this is what's mine to give, this is what's gonna, the, the satisfaction that will come with that. We better than making somebody proud that actually doesn't care. Or doing something that no one asked me to do, but I thought everybody wanted me to do. Realizing that the kingdom will go on without you. So what's your contribution to it? What does that look like? Um, we're gonna read a few more quotes of his. Before I do that, he, he talks, he uses this, uh, this phrase that I guess is a famous Quaker phrase of the idea of way opening and way closing. Way, and, and this idea this, in this kind of Quaker wisdom, which he was at this Quaker school and uh, prayer center, basically. And there was all this, he, he, he was always so frustrated when people would be like, way will open. And he's like, way's not opening for me. Where is way? <laughs> Why won't it open? But this idea that if you can just be patient, way will open. And so the, the phrase of way opening and way closing kind of finds its, its um, expression throughout this, this little book. I wanna give you a few more quotes of his on vocation specifically, though, that I think are so great. Vocation does not come from willfulness. It comes from listening. I must listen to my life and try to understand what it is truly about, quite apart from what I would like it to be about. Ooh, this is the ego. Your ego wants your life to be about a certain thing because at some point in your life, you were told or shown an image of someone or some role or some work or some expression that, that meant that person had value or was important. 
That's probably what you would like your life to be about. I must listen to my life and try to understand what it's truly about, or my life will never represent anything real in the world, no matter how earnest my intentions. Or maybe it's not about being important. Maybe it's, it's about obligation. Maybe there's a sense of guilt or shame that if I do something that I actually enjoy, I'm being selfish and therefore bad. Another quote of his, vocation does not mean a goal that I pursue, it means a calling that I hear. It's that man from Macedonia. Before I can tell my life what I wanna do with it, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. Uh, I've got one more, this is the last Parker Palmer quote, right? One more, I love this Howard Thurman quote. Howard Thurman um, was a seminal author, theologian of the early 20th century. He wrote Jesus in the Disinherited, which Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, rumored to have in his briefcase at all times. I mean, this guy influenced a lot of things that happened in the generations after him. But this is his quote. I love this. Don't ask, the world, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who've come alive. This, is, this sounds like someone, this sounds like a tweet from, you know, me when I was 22 or something, you know? But it's a guy who was incredibly committed and disciplined and influenced deep work in the world. And he's saying, do what makes you come alive. That's what the world, the world doesn't need your aspirational gift. The world doesn't need your obligatory gift. The world doesn't need your oughts and your shoulds. It needs you, the real you, alive, thriving, on fire, passionate, full of joy. That's what the world needs, and that's who God wants to use. So what's the, what are the obligations that you need to shed today? For some of us, what's the Rome, or what's the, what's the, the Asia, sorry, the province of Asia that we're trying to get into and we're, we're, maybe you're fixated on like, that's the place I gotta get to. And you're just kicking, kicking on the doors trying to get in there and, and God is like, look, I've got something very similar <laughs> over here. It's called Rome, go there. It's called the rest of the Roman Empire. It's called Philippi, it's called Macedonia. Go to these places. You, you, you've got one picture in, in your mind and you're very close to what I have for you, but you've gotta open yourself up a little bit and let me lead you. There's door number two, there's secret door number three that you have not considered yet. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. Have I talked about ambition yet in this message? I didn't, okay. I just can't, we're doing two now and sometimes I get a little mixed up. All right, I wanna talk to you about ambition for a second as the band comes up. So we tend to think of ambition in the church as like a dirty word, right? Sometimes it's like you're not supposed to be ambitious because that means that you're selfish. And there are verses about not having selfish ambition. And I would just say, hey, that's not what that is, actually. The word for selfish ambition, when Paul says, hey, let there be no selfish ambition among you, um, that's the Greek word erethia, and it, it means uh, electioneering or courting for office. It's something that happened in the Greek and Roman world. literally means to spin wool. So it's like somebody trying to spin something up, trying to make something happen, trying to gain a position in society. And this was apparently happening in the local church in the first century. People were, people were trying to like, were sort of 
playing the social and political games to try to get what they thought would be positions of influence in the community. And Paul's saying, none of that. Selfish ambition. Don't do that. But he himself says, I've been very ambitious, which that word means I have had a singular aim for the thing that I know God has called me to do. Ambition is not a bad thing. Be ambitious. Be the one that God has to sheepdog. Get up and do something. I remember I heard a story from a pastor that I worked for years ago, and he, he went to a Bible school. I'm going to land this thing in a second, I promise. He went to a Bible school for college, and he told the story about the spiritual guy. There was a spiritual guy at his college. He was very spiritual, always saying the spiritual stuff. And they went back for some, uh, some event 20 years later at this college, and he ran into the spiritual guy there in town. And he was like, hey, spiritual guy, what are you doing here? And the guy's like, just waiting on God, waiting on God's marching orders for my life. And he's like, it's been 20 years, man. You haven't done anything? You've just been sitting around? Now, this is not me saying don't wait on the Lord, but it's okay to try stuff. It's okay to put that passion to work. It's okay to put that energy to work. And, and then also, let God guide you. Let God move you. This is, this is really about knowing yourself. If you are not prone to taking action, maybe you should take some action. If you are overly prone to take action, maybe chill out. Either way, can we be those who trust that God, the, the word that was in my mind before we started today around this idea is the word kindness, that it's God's kindness, it's God's kindness. Can we trust God's kindness as we follow him? Can we trust God's kindness as doors close? Can we trust God's kindness as doors open? Can we trust God's kindness as things don't make sense? And we go, I thought I had that one figured out. You can stand up with us. Can we trust God's kindness? Can we trust God's kindness when you find yourself in the place where you go, this was working for me and now it's not and I don't know what to do. I, I thought I had my place carved out. I thought I had my lane figured out and something doesn't seem right now after all these years. For the person who's discerning a, a major vocational transition in your life, can you trust God's kindness? That he, he has what's best for you and what's next. Can you trust God's kindness to the young person who's just getting started? going, I've got, I'm excited and I'm passionate. And I've got big ideas and big dreams, but I don't even know where to start. Can you trust God's kindness? That he knows the way, he is the way, he'll open the doors. Can we be patient? Can you trust God's kindness as you decide to put down what is not yours to carry? Or at least not anymore or at least not in the way that you thought it was. Trust that God, God has it for you, for the people around you. Jesus, we wanna be, um, we wanna be people who live with a, the assurance of your goodness. We want to be people who 
live aware of how much you love us. We want to be people who enjoy the life that you're letting us live and the adventure that you have us on. And when we can't see how the next thing is meant to unfold, can we be those who just expect you to do something entirely unexpected, an earthquake in a jail cell, a dream in the night, All those people that Paul met in Philippi became the leaders of the house church movement in, in Philippi. Those are the people he wrote to in Philippians. One of the most fruitful chapters in the book of Acts, all because some doors closed and he finally listened to the voice in a dream saying, come over here. Lord, let us trust you that you know what's better. You know what's next. We're yours. We wanna follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.